Osiris. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Bennett. And we are the hosts of the Puberty Podcast. It's a show that weaves together scientific research, parenting strategies, and hilarious stories to help adults who are raising kids through adolescence. First, we lay the groundwork for how puberty has changed. And then we get into the tricky territory of how to talk about it with kids. Listen to us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me. It's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. What's up, everyone? Skull and Roses is back to four-day festival, exploring unique interpretations of Grateful Dead music and community that surrounds it. The festival is entering its fourth installment and will take place at the holy grail of the West Coast Grateful Dead scene, the Ventura County Fairgrounds, California, from April 7th through the 10th, 2022. And this year, the festival welcomes Grateful Dead bass player Phil Lesh, slated to appear as Phil Lesh and Friends, Dark Star Orchestra, O'Teal and Friends, back for their second festival appearance, and Melvin Seals and JGB back for their fourth appearance. The lineup also includes acts like Jackie Green, Keller Williams, Circles Around the Sun, Midnight North, and Pink Talking Fish. The festival will feature daily themes and parades, artisans, vendors, local beer and food, as well as daily yoga and sound healing experiences. Mm, I want to really fun. That. Sound healing is awesome. If you can't be there, luckily Skull and Roses is partnering with fans to live stream the festival all weekend long. And our very own Osiris podcast, No Simple Road, will be there recording on-the-ground coverage and interviews. So be sure to check out their socials and feeds to hear more about what's happening at Skull and Roses. Those folks are the best. No Simple Road is awesome. That's No Simple Road. And head to the fan streaming platform to watch live sets all weekend. And enjoy Skull and Roses, everybody. Don't miss it. What's up, you guys? That's Mike. 
That's Otiel. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. We had one of my favorite guests on today, Dr. Anna Lemke. She wrote a book called Dopamine Nation. Uh, I saw her on a YouTube, uh, I'm guessing with someone else's podcast. I don't even remember right now. But you know, when you're when, when you're podcast when you're listening to a podcast and you're pressing pause and taking notes, you're on the right track. So. <laughs> that's a good that's a good podcast. Yes, absolutely. She's unbelievable, and 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 you could tell that like she's her whole heart's in everything that she does. What we talked about, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a I dare I'll use the word pandemic. I mean, the the we're addicted. These, these devices are running things, so yeah. it's important to take a look at the science and the health and everything around it for sure. And she's doing unbelievable work. She really is. I love the uh, phrase that she used or the term digital drugs. I was yeah. like, man, you zeroed in on it because she's just talking about dopamine and how we keep rushing to feel good. And then you got to pay on the other end. And so the the whole dynamic of that and how it works physiologically and the brain um, it's really, really helpful stuff because everybody, this is ubiquitous. Everybody's struggling with something, yeah. you know, especially after the pandemic. If you weren't before, I bet you are now. Unless and you're if a, you're not, I don't trust you. <laughs> unless you're a yogi or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so uh, you'll get a, a lot out of this. Yeah, such an incredible conversation. And thank you, Dr. Lemke, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. Uh, if you're liking what you're hearing, head over to Patreon and join us for bonus content. Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. The beauty of the modern day interview. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm going to hide myself. I usually hide myself once I'm set. All right, great. Mike does that too. He hates I do to too. see himself. I can't oh, see myself. Yeah, no. yeah. It's just so distracting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And then you end up going like, uh, you're like, yeah. that's how I look when I say, uh, <laughs> I'm do that right now, actually. yeah, when I discovered that, I don't know about a month into the pandemic, oh, I was yes. so happy. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to look at myself. Yeah, right. Really. Cause we're not, we're not made to look at ourselves. Well, here's, here's my theory. We're actually made to look at the moving mouth so that if we're up there, we will look at ourselves when we're talking because we're wired to focus it on the moving mouth. So if you don't want to look at yourself, it's really hard not to, if you can see yourself. Yes. I guess I'm Agreed. more hearing compromise someone else's mouth to make sure I'm getting it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it is interesting. Like the metadata that you get visually, you know, versus, I mean, I, I'm still really conflicted around like seeing versus just listening versus both. It's an interesting thing. Well, it's an, and it's, it's interesting too, because we almost had to like teach ourselves how to smile with our eyes Yeah. while wearing masks. Yeah. Kind of like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not blinking for five seconds to right. show you what I love you. <laughs> I know I'm always looking at kids. Yeah. So the mask, you know, I have young kids and yeah. I think kids are cute. Yeah. And I'm are. like, so I pull my mask down like, <laughs> yeah. so they know I'm not being weird. Right. 
but that's probably scary for them now too because they're not used to seeing like our mouths so it's probably pretty scary when we do that anyway <laughs> my kids are remarkably well adjusted i remember driving oh, them to nice. school or picking them up from school whichever it was and and looking in the rearview mirror and seeing them with masks on just thinking this is so dystopian and awful like <laughs> and i was just like i'm sorry you guys got to wear these masks and they were both like oh we don't mind oh i know that's i was like amazing. oh okay i won't beat myself up so much <laughs> i think it's it, it <clears throat> i remember hearing something too about when a child hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stephanie Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Had to wear an N95 mask and was asking their parent, like, when can I go back to my comfortable mask? So it was even like a a level of mask wearing is even like a thing at this point. And it's like, (laughs) oh boy, you just want to cry for those kids. But yeah, yeah. So happy that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for taking time. You are welcome. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. When I saw you on YouTube, I was just like, I, I was, it's just so excited. And I thought, man, I know this is a long shot. Let's just Eli, see if you can get her, you know, but yeah. I learned so much. I wish that I had uh, known that when I was in my twenties, <laughs> being a typical musician on the road, but just the way the dopamine 
thing works. I love your mm-hmm. analogy of the gremlins. Can yeah. you explain that a little bit? That really helped me a lot. Sure. So I think that it's really fascinating that the same parts of our brain that process pleasure also process pain. So those two things are co-located in the brain and that they work like opposite sides of a balance. So I like to have folks imagine like a teeter totter in a kid's playground. There's a beam and a central fulcrum, but this balance when it's at rest and the beam is level with the ground. And that, that represents how we process pleasure and pain. When we experience pleasure, it tips one way, pain, it tips the other way. But there are certain overarching rules governing this balance. And the first one is that the balance wants to remain level, doesn't want to be tipped for very long to pleasure or pain. And our brains will work very hard to restore a level balance with any deviation from neutrality. So for example, I like chocolate, I eat a piece of chocolate, I get a little release of dopamine, a chemical in my brain that mediates pleasure reward motivation, and my balance tilts to the side of pleasure. But no sooner has that happened, then my brain's going to work to try to restore a level balance. And and it does that by essentially down-regulating my own dopamine production and involuting my dopamine receptors on the postsynaptic neuron. To say that in a simpler way, just imagine (laughs) that there are these neuroadaptation gremlins that hop on the pain side of the balance to bring it level again but the gremlins like it on the balance. So they don't get off when it's level, they stay on until it's tilted an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain, and then they get off and then balance is restored. So the key piece here is that for every pleasure, we pay a price and the greater the pleasure, the greater the price we pay. And when that balance is tilted to the side of pain after a pleasure, and for me, that's wanting one more piece of chocolate, right? It's that moment of like, Oh, that was really good. I need another one. Or I'm watching a YouTube video is like, oh, oh, I don't want that to end. I don't want that feeling to end, right? That's the gremlins. Now, if I wait, gremlins hop off and balance is restored. But that kind of intense, very gripping desire to keep going with the pleasure is caused by those neuroadaptation gremlins that essentially hop on the pain side of the balance before we go to a level balance. And it's really helpful to know that that's what's going on in our brains because it makes sense of a lot of behaviors that are maybe even slightly outside our conscious awareness, right? Like we're Mm -hmm. playing a video game and then, you know, we told ourselves we would just play this one level and then it comes to the end and it's like, oh, I think I'm going to play one more. Like, and it's so weird because I really wanted to get off or I needed to get off to do other things. And now I'm finding, you know, I'm playing another one. It seems like every streaming service has figured that out because it's like next episode starts in three, two, one. And you have three seconds to decide, like, am I stronger than the gremlins? (laughs) Oh, it's so true. And it's totally by conscious design, right? It's not an accident. I mean, we have really cracked the code on dopamine, pleasure, motivation, and, you know, this pleasure pain balance such that the way all of these digital drugs are structured is to, you know, exploit uh, those motivational and reward pathways. I'd love to hear you use that term. Oh, thank you. I'm going to use that going for digital drugs because yeah. nobody, I've never heard anybody else put it that way. But it's that's really, what they are. yeah. And I think we need to talk about it that way. You know, we need to openly yeah. acknowledge these are drugs. Now, most people who use 
any given drug, right? If it's not their drug of choice, they're not going to get addicted to it, right? So most people who drink alcohol won't get addicted to alcohol, but about 10 to 15% of people who drink alcohol will get addicted to alcohol and others may struggle with alcohol, even if they don't meet the full bone criteria. And it's the same thing with the, you know, with the digital drugs, like most people will be able to go, Oh, you know, this is not heading in a good direction. I got to do something about it. And they're able to do something about it. But my guess is about 10 to 15% of us will find ourselves slipping and really struggle to you know, mm. make those adjustments without some kind of more extreme intervention. You know, after time and time of uh, failed attempts on quitting cigarettes, I ended up uh, using the Alan Carr uh, I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with his, the easy mm-hmm. way method. Mm-hmm. And what ended up working for me was the understanding that I've already made an agreement with myself that I'm going to have another cigarette before mm-hmm. I put this one out. Mm-hmm. So when you break the agreement <clears throat> that you're, uh, you're going to have another one, we're going to mm-hmm. watch another episode. We're going to play another level. Um, maybe like, you know, for, for me that, that clicked, that snapped and, and that made sense to me. And I was able to go like, Oh, well, I don't have to. Cause it's true. Every time I would put out a cigarette, it would be like, let's see if I can make it until four 30. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can make it until after dinner. Let's see mm-hmm. if I can make it till tomorrow. But mm-hmm. it was never, let's see if I can never have one. It was always uh-huh. when's the next one. So it's interesting to kind of, like you had said, it's like to acknowledge it, but also say like, maybe I don't need it again. If it, if this goes away, will I be okay? And I think it's where that fight or flight thing has kind of gotten a bit distorted in our existence as well, too. Right. So you're highlighting a couple of really important points. One is that w- these internal conversations that we're having with ourselves are really important and how those conversations go shape our behavior. And we're, we're constantly having these conversations, right? Like our, our brain is like a beating heart. It never stops. And these are ongoing narratives. Um, and that for you, the, the key piece was to acknowledge that you essentially hadn't committed to quitting. Right. right? And that yes. once you then realize that you hadn't really committed and you, you made then the, the commitment and, and change your narrative, you were successful in quitting. What's so tricky about digital drugs is that we can't entirely quit them, right? You can really remove cigarettes from your life. It, and in mm-hmm. fact, it's so stigmatized to smoke that you've got a lot of people telling you, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but, the, but the devices, we can't, we have to integrate them, right? You can't be a student. You can't be a working professional. Uh, you, you largely can't communicate with people. So now we're really in a bind because it really is, uh, okay, if I can't quit, what, what, am, you know, what am I left with? And then that get, that get, that's get, you know, that's the tricky part here. But it's yeah. like uh, food addiction. Yeah. Or for most, certainly not all, sex addiction. Yes. Because like you say, you could go your entire life without another drink of alcohol. You're going to have to eat, yeah. you know, so yeah. you really and I feel like that with kids too. like, you know, every parent I know is struggling with videos or screens of some kind, yeah. uh, whether it's games or YouTube. Or, I mean, I got a YouTube problem myself oh me too yeah with kid and i try to justify you know my justifying (laughs) brain is like well i'm educating myself right you know and it's like yeah but you need to put it down yeah right (laughs) right that's right with kids it's like well 
so many of their relationships are formed around video games yeah. and these different, it's the new age for them. Right. Yeah. I tried to explain to my kids that we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have iPads. We didn't have Nintendo switches or whatever right. video game. And they were like, well, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, the, like, <laughs> I know it's so crazy. The other day I was uh, walking outside my house and you know, we live next to this little tiny, tiny park. And in the dirt corner of the park, there was a little teepee built out of sticks And I jumped for joy when I saw that because I cannot tell you the number of hours I spent as a young child making these little villages out of like little scraps of wood. I was really into that for whatever, like I'd make whole little towns. And I was like, and I saw it and I was like, oh my God, there are still kids playing outdoors with sticks. You know, I was elated that it still happens. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a different world. It's funny. Imagine Uh, if it was actually like a 70 year old man making a teepee out of sticks. Could have been, could have been. (laughs) For him. Good for him he as right. got off yeah. the video games. <laughs> I did have one experience. This is before I messed up and got an IG and Nintendo Switch. But he likes to get dirty, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, as a parent, I was just like, you know, like throwing heaps of it up in the air, get it all in his hair, in his mouth. And I was just like, you know, we have a Tesla. It's all white. <laughs> You know, I was just like my normal, you put that on top of my normal, like anal retentive parent stuff. And then one day he was watching YouTubes or something. And I just whispered in his ear. I was like, you can get as dirty as you want. If you get off the computer. And he, was, he, was, oh, and he went down hurt. and dug a hole like oh, two so and a great. half feet deep going just dirt i got great pictures i was like dirt wind still oh, you know i love it love <laughs> so, it that's great yep. but you're it's hard yeah you're really yeah a lot of their relationships are formed around that yeah. and this is their new paradigm and so i can't just like be a you know, complete authoritarian and just be like, no, you can't have it. It's like, man, you can't like cut off his leg. Yeah. I or think, her leg either. Yeah. I know? think, you know, I think when it comes to these digital drugs, food is a really good analogy, you know, cause like we can't stop eating. We, we're not going to stop going online. But on the other hand, you wouldn't have ice cream for breakfast. Right. And you wouldn't have a whole gallon of ice cream. You would have a little bowl after you ate your broccoli. And so I think that's when we're thinking about, supervising our kids time online and it should be and must be supervised. I think very strongly for any preteen, um, you know, we have to think about it this way. Like, have you done your schoolwork? Have you done, you know, your chores for the family? Uh, have you done some reading? Have you exercised? Have you moved your body? Have you been outside? When all of those things are done, yeah, you know, you can have half an hour, you can have an hour. So, you know, a reasonable quantity in moderation after they've fulfilled their responsibilities. I think that that's the way to think about it when we're thinking about how to parent this. And then I would say, you know, I talk about in the book, self-binding strategies. These are barriers we put between ourselves and the drug, especially those drugs that we know that we can't control. And so it's some, one of the self-binding strategies is categorical self-binding. So are there, are there certain things online that we should never do, right? Just like there are certain foods that maybe we should never eat because we find that once we start eating them, we just can't stop. Um, And that's how people with food addiction handle it, right? They're like, I really can't have sugar or I can't have cakes and cookies because 
I'll have one and it, it's game over. You know, I'll, I'll be eating the whole package and I'll feel horrible. So I think, you know, my patients, that's what they discover. Like when they, well, as I talk about in the book, they do, you know, I talk about this dopamine fasting to try to reset reward pathways. And then when they go back into it, it's like, yeah, I can't play League of Legends. Like that game is just, you know, that's like a serious, serious drug to me, but I might, I can do these other things. I remember you said this one thing that really helped me. Um, I would love for you to unpack a little bit. You know, you were, it's like you said for someone that really has gone down the far down the road of their addiction, whatever it is, just getting up off the couch and taking a walk around the block to them feels literally painful. Right. And I, you know, I've seen that, that, you know, just that it's hard to just like unplug, like it's a war and it's, can you talk about that? Cause I, I, I have yeah. to do that, but just like force yourself to go outside and just, you know. Yeah. So that gets to the second rule of this, ba- of this balance. Remember the first rule was that for every, whatever the initial stimulus, the balance tilts an equal and opposite amount to the other side before going back to the level position. But the second rule of the balance is that with repeated exposures to the same or similar reinforcing stimulus, that initial response to pleasure gets shorter and weaker. And that after response gets stronger and longer. In other words, those gremlins get stronger. They start to lift weights and they start to multiply. And if we continue to expose ourselves, we end up with enough gremlins to, I like to say, to fill this whole room. And now we're walking around with a balance chronically tilted to the side of pain. And that's the addicted brain. When we've entered that state, what's happened is we need more and more of the drug to get the same effect. We need more potent forms. Then we're using not to feel pleasure, but just to stop feeling pain and and level Mm. the balance. And importantly, when we're not using, other things are no longer rewarding to us. Why? Because we're walking around with a balance tilted to the side of pain, experiencing the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, which are anxiety, irritability, insomnia, depression, and craving. I have so many patients come in, they want help with depression, anxiety, inability to sleep, inability to motivate. And sometimes the first thing that I'll recommend is that they stop playing video games or stop uh, you know, using cannabis or alcohol or what, whatever it is for long enough for those gremlins to hop off the pain side of the balance and for homeostasis to be restored. Because when they do that, all of a sudden their lens widens and they're able to, you know, like have a simple meal with family or friends and actually enjoy it because they're no longer walking around like, you know, like this. That's incredible. You know, I've been thinking a lot too about the fact that like from an evolutionary standpoint, I almost wonder if children are somehow more prepared for this digital world that we live in than let's say folks who maybe half their life, they didn't have this barrage of media or all of these, like all at once kind of, uh, world where you're seeing a lot of adults have a hard time navigating through life right now because (laughs) you can, you can lean into an idea and go, Oh my God, there's a whole world based on that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Fall into that where before, you know, for a large part of their life, they didn't have that. Do you have any thoughts on that where our adults maybe not as suited for this digital kind of, you know, social media world where kids may even be a little bit more prepared for it because that's, they've had it their whole life. 
Well, it's an interesting question, interesting thought. I think it's very clear that our kids who have been weaned on these digital devices have a facility with them that the rest of us will probably never attain. But whether or not they're actually better off for it, I don't know. And it does seem to me that they're in fact not as well equipped for in real life experiences. And right. we're seeing that in all kinds of ways, kids with more, more social phobia, kids uh, with more obesity, um, you know, kids with more, you know, spinal problems. Right. So yeah, they might be you know adapted for a digital world, but they're not, they're became, becoming less and less able to cope with anything that's not on the device. Um, also, I would say that in general, there was sort of this theory that, well, you know, if you just expose kids to alcohol early, then they'll become kind of they'll know how to drink and then they're less likely to get addicted. And that's been extensively researched and essentially debunked. And it turns out that the early that earlier that you expose kids to alcohol, the more likely they are to go on to wow. develop an alcohol problem. And why is that? Because we're talking about a substance that is incredibly reinforcing. It mimics the molecules our brains already make to make us feel good, but are much, much more potent. And as such are not what we have evolved or adapted for. And I think that analogy really does extend to, you know, online uh, devices, products, uh, yeah. content, right? That you've essentially, you know, again, exploited these motivational reward pathways and created this thing that is so incredibly engaging and, and, and reinforcing that even if our original reason for going online was a good one, now we've become sucked into the vortex yeah. and we're just, we can't get off, not because it's doing a good thing, but because, you know, our motivational systems have essentially been hijacked. Right. That right. happens to me all the time when I, I'm like taking a break, maybe a forever break from Instagram, but I still have to post stuff for my shows. For this right. So I get on to post and then I'm like, you're doing it again. You're supposed to be posting and getting off. And now yeah. you've like, even if it's three minutes, yeah, you know, I just, it's like you're doing so half the battle for me is just realizing it. Yeah. You know, and then I can go, okay, post and I'll get off. Right. Well, <laughs> but, and, you I, know. and I think that, you know, your transparency around it and your humility around the difficulties that you're having is really important for your kids to hear about. And this is part yeah. of what I recommend too, that we open up these discussions with our kids and talk about how it's hard for all of us, but that we openly acknowledge that these are digital drugs and that we're all imbibing, but we, none of us wants to get addicted. So like, for example, I remember about a month ago in the evening after work, I was tired and I went on YouTube, you know how it goes. And then at one point I just like called out to a family member, like, can someone please come over here and help me stop? <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to be able to, can you please, my daughter will come and she's like, mom, shut it down. You know, so like close. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Cause like a moment after that, after it's shut down, I'm like, Okay, I'm free. I, I'm, I can move. On. I can move now. You know, run, <laughs> right? Run, run for your life. But you know what I mean? It's kind of crazy. It's, it's super quick. 
Yeah. Is there a is there a reason why there haven't been apps or built in built in settings into a phone that at a certain amount of hours it's locked to a point where you can't unlock it? You need to like maybe call admin or pay two ninety nine to unlock the phone can, or something like it. that. Yeah. Is there you could do it, there but is? you would have to like give your wife because I do it for my kids. So I could set exactly what hours, like time frames, if I want, ah. that they can be on or off. So yeah. in your case, you would have to give it to your wife, Mike, Yeah. so that you couldn't go in and change it. Yeah, because you know? anyone that you can change, everybody changes it. Everybody even changes it, right. Everybody, yeah. Even if you, when you put it in place, you're like, oh, that's, that's going to help me. And then people get to it like, nope. You know, get rid of that thing. I'm good. I wonder about that. How much would it be like? How much could of a monetary level could you set? Like, yeah. if you're like, oh, I'll pay two ninety nine. I could afford the three dollars for an extra right. couple hours. You know, you kind of wonder. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. God, yeah, it's, maybe I if you about took that. time away from yourself that you went over later. Mm. You know, but then if yeah. you're in control of that. You know, well, you know, you know, you know, oh, sorry. I was just going to no, say, you know, d- studies have shown actually that even the most severely addicted people are price sensitive and they will adjust their <laughs> consumption for price. So if the price gets high enough, yeah, you know, yeah. and in fact, this was one of the main ways that That's we great. got, got people to quit smoking cigarettes in this country is the taxes on cigarettes went, went up. So education was important. The fact that you couldn't advertise cigarettes to minors was important, but the real kicker that, you know, incentivized the behavior change was when cigarettes got to be more expensive. Yeah. I yes, remember when that I was moment. in New York and <laughs> okay. a pack of cigarettes was $11. And I was like, and I lived much closer to North Carolina where they're a yeah. lot cheaper, you know? Yeah. And I was like, $11 That's a carton. It. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. I'm quitting. Yeah. Well, it was, it was so funny how many times, it. even, even like, I, I, you know, even when it was like, no, when it hits 10, I'm done. <laughs> And then I remember being outside going, can you believe these things cost $10? <laughs> and then it was almost like when someone would come to bum one, you're like, you know, these things are 15 bucks now. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it, but, but speaking of that too, it's like, I was thinking about, um, you know, in preparing to talk with you too, it's, there's almost this imaginary currency, like an emotional currency mm. that comes with being online now too, where it's, you know, how many likes does something get? How yeah. much, how better does someone someone else's life look in like they're posting their perfect world, you know, uh, kind of glossy, right. Framed like, you know, mm-hmm. picture of life or how come this person didn't like this or how come this wasn't retweeted or whatever. And it, it really is messing with, you know, definitions of happiness. It's the same oh. gremlins though. Right. Because you get the dopamine if they like you right. and if they don't, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly right. So essentially, you know, those rankings or those enumerations with likes, um, dopamine is very sensitive to, you know, uh, putting numbers on things. And when we see either visually the graph go up or the number go up or we move up in the rankings, that's a huge pop for dopamine, um, followed by this def, you know, dopamine deficit state where then it's like, well, now I got to keep my ranking or I got to keep going so I can. Yeah. And, and I hear this all the time from young people, for example, who become addicted to video games. They'll be like, you know, once I start to get my ranking, 
I don't feel like I can leave because I'm I don't want to lose my ranking or I gotta be I tell myself I'm just gonna stay on until I get, you know, get to the one more and then they get to one more and it's like, oh, I gotta keep going. So you're absolutely right. This this vicious cycle really gets elicited. But the other thing that's so sort of cunning and baffling uh, about, uh, you know, to borrow AA language yeah. about this whole process is that, you know, this whole like comparing ourselves to other people right. and what ends up happening. And of course we were evolutionarily designed to compare ourselves. That's the way you kind of know your strengths and weaknesses and where you fit in a, in a hierarchy or a, a, a you know, a group system. But what's happened is now we're comparing ourselves to millions of people all over the world. And of course, it will will never be enough, especially since a lot of those images and curated personas are not even real. Right. Right, So so that people inevitably feel less than and feel bad about themselves after they've gone online and done that kind of mental comparison. But here's the really insidious part. Even after that and feeling worse after going online people still can't disengage. Right. So it's this kind of combination of it's, you know, and this is what happens in addiction where people think, well, why can't that person, that person's so selfish. Like, why don't they, why do they always have to get pleasure and get high? It's like, you know, if you understand addiction, you realize that they're not even enjoying it anymore. Right. It's not even fun. It's that they can't stop. And when they try to, they experience this incredible pain. They just don't want to feel sick. Yeah, that's right. What's up, everybody? This is Mike, and today's show is sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD, a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with stress and sleep without breaking the bank. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of one of our favorite places, Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. We had them on the podcast. In 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to the customer, cutting out all the cost associated with getting on the shelves at stores. They have CBD products for every occasion and offer tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables and even for that anxious dog of yours they have pet products oh i need to get some for my dog that's barking all the time but Mm -hmm. i'll tell you this i use these the sour bears so good they are cbd gummies i literally no joke i take these every night they help me sleep And it's almost bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I still, as I said it before, I'll say it again. You go to a long show, you come home, my 42-year-old ankles are not what they used to be. And I rub that salve all over them and uh, put them up, enjoy a a nice cocktail, and uh, just let it ooze right into those sore bones. And you know what, folks? All you Comes a Time fans, if you check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME, T-I-M-E, you'll get 20% off all products. That's sunsetlakecbd.com. Use promo code TIME, 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Thank you. Get you some.
Uh, you said something earlier that really uh, triggered me in a good way. You said these things mimic the chemicals that our body already produces. Right. How do we get our bodies to produce those? I mean, I know I see like people in spin class and I'm like, yeah, they probably did a lot of cocaine before and now they're totally <laughs> clean. And they're like, ah, you know, and I know they're getting that. It's the good thing yeah. afterwards. Is there other ways besides being a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, masochist uh-huh. <laughs> no. well i mean i mean first let's like let's 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 te- like let's explicate that a little bit because if you go back to the balance remember when we press on the pleasure side with our you know we ingest something or do a pleasurable behavior the gremlins hop on the pain side but if we do something that's painful like exercise or a nice cold water bath or reading a hard book or challenging ourselves emotionally or cognitively, and, we're, and we press on the pain side, those neuroadaptation gremlins will hop on the pleasure side and we'll get our dopamine indirectly, right? So instead of our getting our dopamine from the intoxicant, what happens is that we do something that's hard or actually physically painful, and we tell our body, oh, this is a challenging situation, we need to start to make more of our feel-good hormones and neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, endocannabinoids, endo-opioids. And that's a much better way to get your dopamine, to pay for it up front, because then you don't go into that dopamine deficit state, right? With an intoxicant, you get the sudden rise, then you're in dopamine free fall below baseline, dopamine deficit state. And then you eventually feel, you know, you come out of it and you're like, God, what was that? That was horrific. Right. But of course you want to do it again because that's how the brain works. But if you instead do, okay, I'm going to do this hard thing, hard thing. What we see is that dopamine levels slowly rise over the course of the activity and remain elevated for hours afterwards before coming back down mm. to baseline levels. There's no dopamine deficit state there, right? Cause mm. you didn't use your credit card. You paid uh, with cash. You paid up front. So what I've, what are some examples of, you said, challenging ourselves emotionally? Because yeah. I feel like that's something that I really need to do to get stronger emotionally. But I never heard anybody say that. So what are some ways that I could do that? So many. Well, the first thing is, you know, <clears throat> if we stop reaching for these distractors, you know, to numb ourselves and escape ourselves, that is a challenge because so meditation means, would be, well, not, yeah, you could call it meditation or mindfulness practice or whatever. But basically it's like, well, I'm, I'm tired. I'm uncomfortable. I'm anxious. I'm going to just zone out with a, you know, Netflix binge. But if instead of doing that, we just kind of either do something that's actually difficult or we just let ourselves sit there with that emotion of being bored or uncomfortable or just reflect, connect with the deep quiet, you know, not distract ourselves with uh, listening to something or that's really, really hard. If you're not able to just sit and do that, then just walk and do that. Right. Or run and do that. Or, but this just kind of like letting yourself become acquainted with yourself without trying to show. And and usually what happens is there's kind of like this, just a huge waterfall of thoughts and emotions, you know, kind of that we have to, but it quiets down after a while. So, so that's, that's one thing that's, it feels more passive because it's a restraining your, you know, from reaching for pleasure 
It's the restraint of not doing that and then tolerating the distress. But is that are, something I'm sorry, just to interrupt you yeah. real quick. Is that something we could do with kids? Because I see kids do that a lot that are they're used to just like it's always at hand, yeah. my video game. And so you take it away within seconds. They're like, I'm bored. Yep. So that's so now right. I try to explain like how it's how can I say, well, that's positive because. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, well, it's positive because without boredom you wouldn't deeply reflect on, you know, what you're doing without boredom. You wouldn't give yourself an opportunity to have a new and creative thought. Boredom is really the mother of creativity, right? It's when we have nothing to do that we have to go, okay, well, let's see. I'll I'll go outside and build a house out of sticks. Right. And once I get going on that, that's turns out it's really interesting and fun. So that's one thing, you know, that kind of, the other thing though, is there like, for example, I have a patient who, became very socially phobic. And so his task was to go out and like have conversations with strangers, which was really, really scary for him. But that was him pressing on the pain side. And over time, he built up the mental calluses and now he can talk to strangers. No problem. I also talk in my book about something called radical honesty. Turns out that the average adult tells one to two lies per day. And telling the truth is hard. You have to think about it. Right. It doesn't happen naturally. So that's another thing, you know, an active practice we can do is actually commit to saying, I'm not going to tell any lies today, not about anything at all, not even fudging the numbers a little bit and just see how hard that is to do. That also forces us to confront some shameful things about ourselves, right? Like the ways in which we're selfish or that we want to do things our way, or we want to present our best faces to the public, as opposed to just being like, yeah, I, I, I'm late because I, I was caring about myself more than I cared about you, you know? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Right. Sometimes uh, I, <laughs> you find you do it because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and we, we think that we're most of the little lies we tell are actually not that like people will say yeah. that, but they're really so that we're hiding the ways in which we have been, you know, not as wonderful or even kind of yeah. a little bit selfish. For sure. You know, you know, it's kind of fascinating to me, too. And some of the things I've seen and read is that, you know, that the, our actions or our thought processes or both positive and negative can really completely rewire and tinker with our brain and our brain chemistry and our brain function. And it's kind of interesting to think about coming out of two years of being alone or two years of kind of, you know, uh, fear for a lot of folks, how we're like, everyone's kind of reentering society. Like you had said, one of your patients had like a social phobia. I'm sure that's a pandemic in itself right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you're 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 really right. It's like our our brains are these incredibly plastic organisms. And by that, I mean, they're constantly changing based on our experiences in the world, our sensory you know, signals, the kinds of interactions that we have. And, and it's really incredible the way even just that memories are formed. Right. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And of course, then those memories then inform our future choices and, and all habits and all of it. So, yeah. How do we begin to change that? A lot of times people want to wait until they feel like making those changes, but really it, it starts with just making the behavior change, doing something different and then seeing how your body responds to that. 
Um, and, and so, you know, but, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like these are, these are learned, you know, kinds of experiences. A lot of it for me is it makes it easier when I go outside. Like even what I remember when I was single and I was just at my lowest point, I think one of the best things I did for myself was every day that there was sunlight, I would make sure and open all the blinds and let all the sunlight in. Even yeah. as I was my depression, mm-hmm. I was like, at least just don't sit here in the dark. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it, I find that works great with kids. Okay. You have this much time on a device. We need that much time outside. And yeah. what you said about like, I'm just unplugging and like, like walking into the pain. I feel like that's easier if you like go out in the woods. Yeah. You know, but then even if you come back, even if you have like a heavy addiction and you like cut ties, you go out in the woods, you rebalance. How do you deal with when you come back into your regular life? Because a lot of it's just the habitual, right. you know, like, like happy hour parts of life. Right. Now you're not out in the way you're back in your regular routine. And then this right. is where that substance comes in at that part of the cycle. Right. How yeah, do you this is reintegrate. This is, right. Really, really key. Um, you know, that we, we, we think of ourselves as like such so different from animals, but really what we're in many ways just animals. And if we put in the same environment again and again, we're going to behave the exact same way. So really one of the starters is that we need to change the micro environment. And this is again more examples of self-binding. Like you need to get your drug out of your house or make it harder to get the drug. You can't just rely on, you know, your willpower to be able to refrain from using. And then of course, um, in that moment when we would normally use, you know, some kind of replacement behavior. Now, traditionally people have talked about replacing one reward with another. The problem with that is cross addiction and the potential Uh, of just getting addicted to the second. So I'm not going to smoke. I'm going to watch Netflix instead. Well, pretty soon you might find yourself watching eight hours of Netflix a day, which is why I recommend something different than those replacement rewards. I recommend um, really either just sitting with the feeling and surfing the urge until it passes. And this is, you know, it's hard. Like you have to like, you know, sit there and tolerate it, (laughs) but it does pass. And it can be very instructive to feel that it's passing. Number two, you can do a replacement behavior. That's not reaching for comfort, but instead doing something that is hard. And this is super counterintuitive, but again, it's all about the balance. So when I feel like getting my drug and my gremlins are pressing on the pain side of balance, I'm going to really paradox those gremlins by instead of reaching for my drug to counteract them, I'm going to push down even harder than they're pushing on the pain side. Mm. Right. Mm. I'm going to go and take myself out for a walk or I'm going to jog. Right. Or I'm going to do like, yeah, I'm going to, or I'm going to do a little sprint. Right. And then all of a sudden, relatively speaking, when I'm done with that, I feel pretty good. Right. Cause then those gremlins have to transfer over. And then the other thing too, which is so key is that, you know, human connection, right. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get together with somebody that I trust and know and love and kind of let that space that we can create together kind of tied me over. And through. And which yeah. that's where like, you know, things like mutual health meetings are so helpful for people in recovery. Absolutely. Cause if you're going to sit there and just be like, okay, I'm just going to sit here yeah. 
with this really crappy feeling like, you know, it's a lot harder for me to do that alone on the road by myself, you know, but if my wife is here with me, you know, like it's so much easier to just like, Hey, you know, it's the connection that you were talking about, like having a support, like you could do this, you know, uh, it's tough. That's huge. That's huge. Or, you know, getting together with other people who are sharing the same problem, you know, and knowing that you're not alone in your suffering, that, that has a huge impact on our ability to tolerate pain is knowing that, you know, we're not the only ones, especially if we feel like we're tolerating it in service of some higher good. You know, one thing I, you said earlier that I want to circle back to, um, was these points, you know, you have points for likes or points like for video games. And this is how it keeps you roped in. Is there a way I wish there was an app for showing us like I have a heart monitor. I'm doing this right now with my workout and these points are working for the good now because I want to get to 54,000 points and I just crossed 30,000. And so it just keeps (laughs) me on the healthy track. I wish there was a way we could like track our brains and get points for being balanced dopamine wise, because then we would be like, Oh, I want more points of that. Is there any way we could do that? Yeah, yeah. Or we might be yeah. close technologically. Yeah, there, there are people who are working on that very thing. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I always thought about that as like, you know, when you look at like how much propane you have left in your grill, yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of got that like, you know, full or empty. Like yeah. I would love to have that for like serotonin and dopamine. Yeah, and yeah. One question I, I would like to ask you is that, you know, when you start to research a lot about this um, subject, obviously the the algorithm and the wormhole will send you magnesium and amino acids and some other items that maybe folks, you know, the common person is deficient in vitamin D and the common person is deficient in um, magnesium and things to that effect. From your opinion, are there, is there validity to uh, certain, we'll say supplements or, um, you know, uh, things that you can actually take proactively to help with those levels or... Yeah. So this gives me a good opportunity to say that, you know, the, the, everything we've been talking about with dopamine and the balance, that's really a a simplified metaphor for a much more complicated machine. Um, So I wouldn't want anybody to like leave thinking, oh, it's just all about dopamine. And it's so much more complicated than that. Um, You know, you can experience pleasure and pain at the same time. For example, when you're eating Mm -hmm. spicy food, right? Mm -hmm. Pleasure and pain are contextual. So you can have a sensory experience that you would think is painful that actually isn't painful if it has some kind of meaning that's different from being painful. For example, it's a very famous study of World War II soldiers with these horrific battlefield injuries and the discovery that about two thirds of them had no pain at all in the wake of these amputated limbs and guts spilling out. Why not? Because number one, it meant they were alive. And number two, that they were probably going home. So the meaning of the pain for them Mm. was positive and therefore they didn't experience it as a physical pain. So this is a very, the brain is so complicated. We're just barely, you know, scratching the surface here. So, so all that by way of saying like, it's not about like going in and like trying to like get some L-DOPA, which is a dopamine precursor and eat it, right? It's not about that. (laughs) It's a a simplified way of looking at a very complicated, uh, you know, organ and just reflect using it as a lens to reflect on like our behaviors in our life. 
So in general, you know, supplements, this and that, I mean, supplements aren't FDA approved. I frankly don't know all that much about supplements, but in general, I try really, really try to, you know, encourage my patients to avoid sort of chemicals and the chemical solution when possible. It's not always possible. You know, I'm, I'm glad we have, you know, uh, psychotropic medications to help people who are really, really struggling, but in general, if we can get um, a different intervention, a psychological or behavioral or spiritual intervention, that's always, I think, better in the long run. Yeah, I have a um, a ring that my wife got me that kind of monitors your breathing, heart rate, like sleep, all that. I think she got it because she wanted to see how bad <laughs> my sleep really is. Wow. And I had something interesting happen to me just the other night when uh, we took a trip with the kids and flying for the four-year-old and seven-year-old is brutal, you know? So yes. I got, I slept really good the other night. And then last night when it, we were back home and everything's chilled out, I was like, well, let me take, I have a prescription for Ambien, which I use very little, but just sometimes I'm like, come on, you need to really sleep tonight. Cause I could see it mm. on my app, you know? Mm-hmm. And man, I did not, I scored way lower, didn't get as much <sighs> sleep. So the chemical thing really didn't help like being more tired out from dealing with the kids all day. Really? Yeah, that was, that was the way the to trick. do it. Right. So I'll say to my patients, the strongest sleep medication that I can prescribe for you is morning exercise. Uh, morning exercise. Great. That's morning right. What I do mine. <laughs> right. Okay. So awesome. in other words, there's there, the, the, the evidence is overwhelming that if you exert yourself in the day and build up sleep debt, you are going to have better sleep at night and that's going to work better than any pill. The other thing is ambient's interesting when scientists have actually studied the effects of Ambien, what they have discovered is that it confers about 15 additional minutes of sleep per night. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I mean, my, my bottle Fif- is like almost full. I hardly right. ever... <laughs> 15 additional minutes. So it's not wow. really... So but what's it. probably happening is because sleep is characterized by, you know, you've got shallower sleep and then deeper sleep. And we're coming yeah. in and out of that all night long. Yeah. Probably what happens with Ambien is you're not really getting more sleep or more rest, but you're not coming all the way up to the surface in between. So you're not remembering the small wakings that are a normal part of sleep. So you have the impression that you slept longer than you really (laughs) did because it's really only about 15 minutes. The other thing is Ambien is addictive. It works on the same receptor as alcohol, part of the GABA receptor. I've had patients very, very addicted to Ambien. So, you know, you know and when, I, when you t- said that though, the night that I slept great, I did my workout, I did my DDP, my diamond yeah. cutter, <laughs> and, uh, and I slept great. And the, the night that I didn't sleep great was when I didn't do my workout in the morning because we were flying home. Yeah. So I got up and we just started packing breakfast. Right. And then I, even with the Ambien, it didn't happen. Right. So right. I'm going to make sure I get that. I would get rid of that Ambien if I were you. Yeah, I talk, it's just sitting there. I hardly yeah. take it. I wonder about that too. And not you in particular, Otil, but like in, you know, if you have a bottle 
of, you know, that orange bottle that you keep near mm. your bed and it's got your sleeping pills. And if you put half placebos in there, I kind of wonder if sometimes if it's just the, I took something to help me sleep, yeah. I'm sure that's par- partially, you know, has yeah, a lot to do with right. it at times. And you know, placebo is real. I mean, we talk about placebo, like, oh, it's a sugar pill. So if it, it doesn't, it's just like a psychological thing, but, but actually there's lots of fascinating research now showing that we indeed have a true physiologic reaction to a sugar pill if we believe that it helps us or that it, even if we even if we know it's a sugar pill, but we were told it helped other people and yeah. people will find out. <laughs> it's really that. amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, awesome. yeah, this idea that, yeah, you're taking this thing to help myself. It can have a huge impact. So the well, that's that's exactly what like in when in researching and in thinking about this stuff when I was talking about the supplements you know and it's right. a billion dollar industry sure. but that's you look why, at right? these you know uh, <laughs> amino acid gummies and you know uh, met, you know um, magnesium this and tyrosine that and all these other and you read the rev- the first thing we do oh it's got 1300 reviews let's click on the reviews and it's like these are a lifesaver these yeah. are amazing i've never slept so good in my life and you're like well now i gotta order why order one right. bottle let's subscribe every month you know and, and, and it's just that whole that thing of like at least i'm doing something is sometimes maybe a yeah. thought, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's also potentially the quick fix, right? Like I'm, I'm still sure, smoking cigarettes and I'm taking magnesium, right? I mean, <laughs> and I'm drinking orange juice, right? right. And playing, playing video games for six hours. Ago. But you know, it's, this gets to like the power of the mind. You said earlier, um, you went through a different, uh, different, maybe categories of things that you could do. And you said something about spiritual, mm. like a, I can't I remember whether it's a spiritual challenge or spiritual yeah. Yeah. growth. Yeah. What, you know, that has always been what's helped me, you know, in the world. Now we have this battle between, you know, scientific materialism and spirituality, but I'm like, whether it's true or not, it's like the placebo thing. What is true is your mind power, what it believes to be true. Like the old Henry Ford quote, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Mm. You know, what are some examples that that you've uh, seen patients like be able to help get themselves off with some kind of spiritual? Yeah. Well, I mean, a huge part of recovery from severe addictions, um, is for many people about surrendering to a a power greater than themselves. And that, that mental act of surrender and giving it over, um, I'm quite sure has physiologic consequences, you know, biological chemical changes that occur. Um, we, there are, there's quite a lot of, um, research out there on, like what's happening in the brain when people are engaging in Christian centering prayer or mindfulness meditation practices or other types of contemplative practices, certain parts of the brain that, that light up um, usually in the prefrontal cortical area. So there's no doubt that these top down gray matter areas um, have a huge impact, you know, on our ability to manage our compulsive consumption and uh, that the act of surrender and giving it over uh, and prayer and contemplation um, and these kinds of practices um, can really, really help people access, you know, their internal resources to change behaviors. So it's really powerful. 
It's interesting you say that because I did not grow up religious at all, like 180 degrees, almost the opposite from my dad's side, at least. And I had a powerful spiritual religious experience, however you want to say it was a mystical one. And I do remember my brain feeling better. Like I didn't feel tempted by the few things that I was uh, trapped in a loop with for like yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. Amazing. Like I remember feeling this ease physically. Right. So I'm glad to hear you say that because it makes me realize it wasn't just in, in my head as an idea. Like it right. was physiological too. Like that was real. Yeah. Oh, you know? for sure. Oh, that's, that's been well described, right? People will have this kind of sudden moment where then they're freed from uh, their cravings. You know, it usually has to be followed by investment in the recovery oh, process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not like a free pass. Like I'm good no. now, but, um, but it is, yeah. it is often the turning point for people, uh, the sudden, you know, freed from the intense, constant cravings, sometimes followed by actual euphoria or a sustained elevated mood uh, for, for longer periods of time. So yeah, it's, it's certainly very real. I wonder if there's a way to like, uh, I mean, I hate to be like soda machine about it, but to trigger it, you know what I mean? Because if it is a real thing, yeah, I mean, it's so hard because our free will just, you know, we want to do what we want to do. Yeah. And mine came at a point where I was just like, I'm done. Like, yeah. I know I can't do it. And for right. some reason, the act of admitting that. So, which is the surrender of the ego where right. your ego goes, right. I don't win. Like right. yeah. uncle, uncle. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that triggered something physiological, yeah. which helped me mm-hmm. now to be able to do the work because I wasn't fighting this incredible craving. Right. You know, you know I was, was able to zero in and go down that rabbit hole, you know, yeah, reinforce yeah. it. I almost kind of wonder with that, Otil, is it the, is it that thing of like, it's not what you feel, it's what you don't. It's almost like that feeling of releasing control and trying so hard to, I think when you're operating from fear so much, um, fear of being uncomfortable, fear of not being able to control what everyone else says or does. Mm -hmm. And then you let go of that control. There's this amazing release. Like it's like the valve gets turned and the pressure (laughs) is released. And it's like, Oh, I don't have to have a headache every day. Uh, I don't have to grind my teeth. I don't have to, you know, and it's that I sometimes think about that too, where it's like that when you are okay, letting go of control, Right. And that surrender moment right. where you're not, you know, if, if, it's okay if you can't control everything that happens in the world or it's right. okay if you let someone down and then you're able to be cool with that. You're right. It does have that physiological feeling. You almost feel physically lighter. Yeah. You feel like you had a chiropractic adjustment somehow <laughs> or like a, or a good sleep or something. And mm-hmm. it is that like, I've been thinking about that a lot lately where it's not what you feel, it's what you don't. Cause we were having yeah. a conversation about anxiety and I forget who I was talking to, but I go, it, it was such an important moment for me to realize that none of this shit matters. Mm. Like nothing matters. And someone mm-hmm. took that as kind of like, Oh my God, Negative. no, don't, don't think that and I'm like no no that's that's beautiful to feel that way because when you when you when you think everything matters it's the heaviest existence you know and it's right so just to be able to kind of let go of it all it's just such a like 
Yeah. So I think that what, can we tap into that or can we call to it? Like you said, Otila, I almost kind of wonder if the opposite, if we can like remind ourselves that the opposite isn't necessary might be a way to tap that in, you know, if, yes, for sure. Cause I, you know, like I always say, that's why religions are never going to go away for all the bad stuff mm. that yeah. is legitimately placed at their doorstep, you know, that it's responsible for this thing of being able to re reach a point where you go, I can't do it yeah. by myself. Right. That letting go part, it's always going to work. Now, can right. we figure out a way to do that, you know, for the non-religious people, which is, I guess, where the 12 steps came from, mm -hmm. right? The two guys, mm -hmm. Bill and Bob, because one was Episcopal and the other mm -hmm. was not. And they were like, mm -hmm. okay, how can we do this so everybody that's not religiously oriented right, can, can still partake? This? Right, yeah. can still partake. Because yeah. it's a tool. It's a real tool. Yeah, it is. With it physiological is. effects, that's right. deep. That's yeah. really, yeah. are there studies that people can, I'm, well, I'm sure there are. Uh, a, I, I would like to point our fans towards the science of yeah. this so they can go, right. hey, this is real, you guys, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we know it's real experientially, right? You both have experienced it. I've experienced it in my life. I have countless patients who have talked about it. Millions of people in AA and other 12-step groups who talk about, you know, the, the this moment of surrender, um, hard one, very hard one moment of surrender. Mm -hmm. But yeah, is there is there a way to kind of give people who are not struggling with these issues per se access to this? And I think that there, there is, um, you know, and there, I, I, again, I don't know of any studies. I'll have to look into this, um, you know, specifically that moment of surrender, um, which is so pivotal, yeah. but certainly, certainly because it'd be hard to capture that, yeah. um, you know, with a brain imaging scan or whatever, like, oh. And I happen to be in an fMRI right now. Um, Here's my keys. Yeah, right. But, uh, but, but I think we can still characterize that moment. It's so universal. It's universal through the ages. Every religion mm -hmm. um, talks about this. You know, it's a, it's the cornerstone of, of every religion and, and many major philosophical constructs. I mean, Buddhism yeah. talks about it in terms of grasping or clinging um, yes. and, and, you know, the letting go, yeah. um, embracing life as it is, life is suffering. So these, and, and just as, as you say, it, it's, it's paradoxical because in the moment that you let go and you surrender, you, 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 you're giving away your power, right? Yeah. But, it's horribly but scary. It's really scary. But what you get in response is this incredible feeling of relief. Like yeah. I'm not in charge of this anymore. I don't, I don't have to, I'm responsible for a lot of things, but I don't have to carry the weight of the whole world and all my past sins and all my future sins on my back. Like I, I, I can let somebody or something else sort of hold me up and support me, you know, as I walk through this so, life. So maybe that's the, uh, as far as our brain's concerned, it's no different than the, the gremlins. Like we keep taking something to make us feel good because we're scared about sliding this way. Right. And we just go, you know what? 
I can't do this anymore. And then we just go all the way that way. And then the gremlins go this yeah. way. Like they don't care what it is. Right. Right? Well, I do think that like the, mo- the, the deepest wisdom in life is almost always uh, some kind of paradox, right? It's some kind yes. of both of these things at the same time yeah. coming together to make this third thing, which remains yeah. a mystery. You don't get Abel without Cain. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. It's kind of great too is, once you realize that you've gone through one of those things where you were able to surrender and you can look back and go, Oh, I didn't die. Right. I made it through and my life is better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing too, is to realize some of the times that we have been brave or been through something without holding on to that thing we thought we had to hold on to and go like, Oh, I could totally do it. I could totally do it. It's that whole, uh, cliche knowing it's half the battle. Mm. It really, you know, yeah. it's yeah. just like when I get on Instagram and you're doing it again. Ah, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. but if you don't know to begin with, like, uh, it's just, yeah. you're, you could be just trapped, you know, yeah. but yeah. come to think of it, uh, your book dopamine nation is a great way for people who are not spiritually minded yes. <laughs> to learn about how to do these things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I hope so. It's meant to be a kind of a practical guide kind of through the lens of neuroscience, but also the stories of people in recovery who have made it. So where can everybody find things all Dr. Anna Lemke? Okay. So you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Um, it's, it's available pretty much everywhere. And then, um, I'm not on social media, but there is a website. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Exactly. Beautiful. (laughs) But if you go to dopamine nation, which is the title of the book, dopamine, dopamine nation.com or on there's, uh, resources to buy the book, but also other resources, other articles and things like that. May I ask very, very quickly, were you ever on social media or is it just something that you were never interested in? You know, it, never on it. And it wasn't like I wasn't interested. It was like, oh, no, that could really be very dangerous for me. I'm not yeah. going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've had, you. I'm sure, your own struggles with the yeah. whole dopamine thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. Good for, you for, yeah. good for you yeah. for seeing that one come and be like, yeah. no, no thanks, <laughs> Thank Mr. Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes, that's right. And thank you for helping so many people. You're doing oh, a lot of help. Well, so thank you. thank you. Yeah, yeah, you all too. It's and thank you day. so much for coming on our podcast. Oh, my I, pleasure. It's been a joy. <laughs> Awesome. It's, Thank uh, you so much. Really great to see you here. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Karen Anderson. And I'm Vanessa Bennett. And we are the hosts of the Puberty Podcast. It's a show that weaves together scientific research, parenting strategies, and hilarious stories to help adults who are raising kids through adolescence. First, we lay the groundwork for how puberty has changed, and then we get into the tricky territory of how to talk about it with kids. Listen to us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Osiris
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.